Every person matters. When I was uh, first a pastor in northern Indiana, there was a man in our church who was uh, pretty significantly disabled developmentally. And so there were um, all kinds of challenges, but he's the one person I probably remember the most for his penetrating questions. Every Sunday, he would come up to literally every person in the church, and he would say, he would look you right in the eye, and he would say, have you read your Bible this week? And you would say, yes, and then he had a follow-up question. Seven days this week? (laughs) And that sticks in your head. And you knew you would be asked every Sunday. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 31 we will see that there is one Holy Spirit, one body of Christ, the church, and many parts. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. Now, uh, many of you are aware, if you've been a part of East White Oak very long, that we typically have people stand for the reading of Scripture. This actually goes back to Nehemiah chapter 8, where it says that, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. So this morning when I ask you to stand up, I'm wondering if we might be able to repeat this moment in Ezra's experience and I know that the boys, boys and girls are better at this than adults, but adults, we can do this, okay? You can do this. When we finish with verse 31 where I say, and I will show you a still more excellent way, we lift up our hands and we say, amen, amen, before we take our seat, okay? So let's stand together for the reading of God's word this morning, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is... There are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, 
we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Believers in the Lord Jesus are not alone. You may feel lonely today, you may not, but you are not alone. The church, according to verse 12, is the one body of Christ, and many parts make up that one body. If you're a believer in Jesus, that includes you. You are not alone. And this inclusion in the body of Christ, according to verse 13, happens at the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, the body of Christ. We've explained those two verses last Sunday. The focus in verse 14 then is to say that the many parts make up the one body of Christ. The body doesn't consist of one part, but rather of many. You are not alone. Now, there's some wonderful applications to this. Uh, One is that, you know, it's very easy for us today to critique, and we'll just give it a generic term, the church, you know. But the church is made up of people. It's an organism, not an organization. And the beauty of the church is sometimes lost. Oh, yeah, the church has its flaws, it has its faults, and there are individual members that are kind of cantankerous and difficult and all of that. But I want to focus on the beauty of the church. It's the bride of Christ. There's a wonder there. And if you belong to Jesus, you're a part of it. You're not alone. Now, this raises, you know, when we think about belonging to the body of Christ as uh, by faith in Jesus, Uh, It it emphasizes then, does it not, the importance of belonging to a local body of Christ as well. So there's a beautiful application there in terms of belonging to a specific local body of which is a part of the larger universal body of Christ. The church is beautiful and we should guard then against sin corrupting her. And of course, what that means is that we should each look to ourselves to be very careful that we don't be the one that causes reproach. So, you're not alone. Verses 15 through 20. 
every believer in Jesus Christ is important. There should be no sense of inferiority in the body of Christ based on one's function in the body of Christ. Every part is needed. No part should be jealous of another, and every part needs to function or the whole body suffers. So Paul has this little conversation talking about a physical body that the foot (laughs) saying, well, I'm not a hand, so I don't really belong. Or it doesn't, that doesn't make it less a part of the body. Or if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. He goes on to use a monster's ink illustration here, I think, if the whole body were an eye, right? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Every part is needed. You can't just say that one has a place of prominence and other parts are unimportant. And every part needs to function. And if every part doesn't function, the whole body suffers. Verse 18. It's actually God who's arranged this. This isn't something that's just based on, you know, like some, you know, ethereal theory of equality or something. Verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. He's not just talking about physical bodies now here, is He? He's talking about the body of Christ that God has you here arranging the parts of the body, every individual one of them, just as He chose each one, you, you as an individual, you matter. Just as important, verse 19, we cannot all be the same. If all were a single member, where would the body be? We would look like some distorted cartoon (laughs) if every one of us was the same. The, The point is that there can't be any sense of superiority on the part of some or inferiority on the part of others based upon their function in the body. The goal, verse 20, many parts, but the full functioning of the one body. Many parts, the full functioning of the one body. So, you might be asking, well, how do I find my place in the body of Christ? Where is it that I fit in? How do I belong? How do I function in the body of Christ? I'm so glad you asked that question. There are certainly uh, many kinds of things that people use, like there's questionnaires and things about personal improvement and understanding, but I don't know that those are nearly as important as some of the things that I'm about to share with you. The first thing, is that you need to know that you are right with God and that you're going to heaven. If you cannot explain to someone else how they can know that they're going to heaven, then 
that would be an important place to begin in your own spiritual journey. Um, it involves this. You recognize that God made the world. He made it perfect. There was no flaw in it. As a result of our parents, Adam and Eve, sin entered into the world. And as a result, this world became broken. And every one of us is broken and is a sinner. That God sent his son, Jesus, to this world to be truly God, truly man at the same time, and he lived a perfect life so that when he died on the cross, his death wasn't just as a good example or as a martyr, his death was a payment for our sins. He took our place. The punishment we deserved was laid on him. By his stripes were made whole, and everyone and anyone who turns from their sin and believes in Jesus to forgive them of their sin by what he did at the cross, Jesus' power rescues them, and he demonstrated his power when he was raised from the dead on the third day. So, first thing for you to know, where's my place in the body of Christ is that you not only know that, you have personally placed your faith in Jesus to forgive you of your sin. When you do that, everything changes. The Bible says the old has come, the new has begun, and you begin a whole new journey. The second thing is for you to understand that when God gives spiritual gifts to people, when they put their faith in Christ, is that the purpose of those spiritual gifts is not for your self-improvement. That's not the purpose of them. The purpose of spiritual gifts in your life is for you to bless the body of Christ for God's glory, to be able to glorify God through the blessing of the other parts of the body. So, we should have great humility and sober judgment in thinking about these things. Romans chapter 12, Paul says, by the grace given to me, I say everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So did you catch? We have a humility, thinking of ourselves with sober judgment, and then we appreciate the grace of, of Jesus Christ given to us, and so we serve with the gifts he's given. We know that we belong to Christ, we have received salvation by our faith in Christ. We understand the purpose of our spiritual gifts is to bless the body, not self-improvement. We have humility and sober judgment to welcome God's grace to use gifts. And then we do all things for God's glory. Another description of spiritual gifts in 1 Peter 4 says, 
As, re, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The whole point of it is that it's an act of worship all of life. Even our serving Him with our gifts is an act of worship. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. So, after we've done those things, we know we're right with God because we've received the salvation of Christ. We understand the purpose of spiritual gifts. We have humility and sober judgment and an understanding of God's grace. We do everything for God's glory. Then what do we do? Then you got freedom. Freedom to try stuff. I think so many of us want to wait around thinking that somehow spiritual gifts are something that just kind of come down and we Okay, feel a little lightning bolt, and then all of a sudden we know we've got a spiritual gift. It's not that. The way, one of the ways in which we discover our spiritual gifts is by trying different things, and in that process we learn how God has gifted us. Let me give you a negative and a positive example from my own life. I taught fifth and sixth grade boys vacation Bible school one year. If you've never done that, you should try that. And we came on the first day of Vacation Bible School to craft time, okay? Now, I'm about as crafty as a rock, okay? And so, we're doing this craft, and they're supposed to paint this plastic thing, and the paint's beading up, and it's not working. And the boys ended up throwing paint at each other and having a grand time, uh, much to my chagrin and most especially the VBS director. The next day, I recognized my gift and talent for crafts, and I said, we're bagging the craft, and we're going to play sports, okay? (laughs) I knew where I was gifted and where I wasn't, and uh, I leave the craft thing to people who have those kinds of gifts like my precious wife, okay? Um, In my uh, my, uh, life, I'll just tell a little bit of my story here, Uh, I... Really, when I went to seminary, I was not planning to be a pastor. That was not my plan. I just went to seminary because I wanted to understand the Bible better. So they, took, they made you take classes in like church stuff, how to be a pastor of a church and that kind of stuff. And if you're thinking I don't do a very good a job at that, it's because in those classes, I didn't really pay attention thinking I'm not going to be a pastor. You know, I, I tried to get the good grade. That was important to me. But really paying attention to what was going on, eh, not so much. In my last year of seminary, um, our church that I was a part of was without a pastor. And they asked me to preach each Sunday in the worship service. And something remarkable happened. God was at work in people's lives. And people began to say to me, you know, have you considered being a pastor? This is something that's really, God is using you in my life. And it really was the encouragement of people in the body of Christ to say, Scott, I think you've got some spiritual gifting here to be able to do this. And it changed the entire trajectory of my life. Try stuff. Look to others in the body of Christ for judgment. And by the way, 
our pathways of discipleship that we have here, being here in this worship service, being a part of a Bible fellowship, being a part of a small group, is a wonderful way for you to hear from others in a confirming way of what your spiritual gifts might be and how you may be able to use them. Every believer in Jesus Christ is important. Now, no believers should think themselves or their gifts as superior to other believers. There are three ways that this can happen with our physical bodies. Paul is using an analogy here, right, in this chapter of a physical body and how it compares to the body of Christ. And in verse 21, he's saying there can't be any, and the word I'll use here is superiority. There's no such thing as superiority. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. There's no such thing as top down in terms of superiority in the body of Christ. We can't say I have no need of some things and need of others. No superiority. Verse 22, the word is no gradation of significance. So there's no superiority, there's no gradation of significance. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. They're indispensable. I think he may be making a reference to internal organs here. I don't know about you, but I'm not really aware that much of the functioning of my internal organs or even of my my awareness of their existence of them. And yet their functioning is essential to my body. There can be no gradation of significance. Just think, for example, about what happens if someone's pancreas stops functioning You may be completely unaware of it until it quits, and then you're like, whoa, that's important. No superiority, no gradation of significance. Verses 23 and 24, no value placed on visibility. Verse 23, those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. No value should be placed because some gifts are visible and others are not visible. The parts that are thought of as less honorable are, in fact, treated with greater honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with the special honor of greater modesty. There are parts of the body that we clothe and parts of our body that we don't. Notice that Paul emphasizes again God is the one who has composed the body, both the human body and the church. And verses 25 and 26 tell us the reason that God has designed bodies this way is so that each part of the body will care for every other part of the body. Look at what it says, verse 25, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. No superiority, no top-down, no gradation of significance, no value based on visibility, but instead no division. 
that the members may have the same care for one another. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Several years ago now, I fell off my bike and I broke the bone at the very tip of my thumb. So I go to the emergency room. I'm a wimp. And I go and they x-ray it and they go, yeah, you broke the bone at the tip of your thumb. I go, well, what are you going to do? And they go, nothing. You broke the tip of the bone. It's, you know, nothing. Well, it was important to me. You know why? Because that stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. One part hurts, the whole body hurts with it. One is honored and all rejoice together. You know, it's so easy for us to care for one another when one hurts. But I am also deeply aware that when we faith, when we experience triumphs and joys, sometimes we can get a little jealous of someone's triumph or someone's joy. No, every person matters. And when one hurts, we all hurt. When one re- is honored, we all go, yeah, we rejoice. Verse 27, notice the collective and the individual aspect of this sentence. Now you, and the word you is all y'all, okay? It's you plural. Now all y'all are the body of Christ. That's the collective part. We're all part of this body of Christ. Now look at the individual part in verse 27. And individually members of it. Each person who knows Jesus is part of this body of Christ. So let's think about some applications. Are are you a member of the body of Christ? Have you placed your faith in Christ to forgive you of your sin. That's the way you're part of Christ's body. You don't trust Christ, you're not part of that body. Second, you may feel at times very alone. Even as a Christian, you can feel extremely alone. I want to tell you on the authority of God's Word, you are not alone you are organically joined to every other part of the body of Christ. And sometimes we will think, well, I just won't share that because I don't really want that attention or whatever. No. Whether it is a trial or a difficulty or a joy and a triumph, In the pathways of discipleship, where it is appropriate, we should share that we may encourage one another. You are important. Now, you're not more important than anyone else, makes that clear, but every person in the body of Christ matters. It doesn't matter whether you've been a part of the body of Christ for one minute 
or for 80 years, you belong. It doesn't matter whether you've been a part of East White Oak since, uh, you know, the building was uh, first built here in this corner, or just last week you became a member of East White Oak. doesn't matter. You're not alone. You're joined organically to every other part of the body. You're important, but not more important than anyone else. And so what that means is no one should take more responsibility or authority and labor than they should. You know, there's some people that feel a little overwhelmed and they just got a little bit of uh, fatigue. No one should take more than they should, but no one should take less than they should either. Every individual member should do their part with the gifts that God has given. And that's where these pathways that we've talked about of gathering together for worship and being in our Bible fellowships and joining a small group are so vital to this process. Now in the last few verses here, and I'm not going to get to all that I wanted to share, but the listing of spiritual gifts is to demonstrate that while each believer has spiritual gifting, no one possesses all the gifts. There's no superhero that has them all. Verse 28 has a list of spiritual gifts that's different from the list in verse 10, that's different from the list in Romans 12, that's different from the list in Ephesians 4, that's different from the list in 1 Peter 4, and the reason they are different is not to catalog exhaustively what the spiritual gifts are, but rather to say these are the kinds of things that the body of Christ, uh, God gifts the body of Christ to be able to bring about the full functioning of the body. Now, most, as we look at verse 28, most would agree that at least some of the gifts no longer exist. If that's true, then on what basis do some gifts persist and others do not? So if you look at the gift first that's listed first, apostleship. Apostleship is one that most recognize no longer exists because there are no more people who have witnessed the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which is a qualification of being an apostle. There are some these days who see this contradiction that, the, that there are some gifts that have ceased and they don't want any of the gifts to have ceased. And so they therefore will name people as apostles in their church. Now if that were true, then what those people who are named apostles said and wrote would be as authoritative as if Peter or Paul or John were here. So almost all Christians admit that at least that gift no longer exists. So the question is not, are all the spiritual gifts in the New Testament supposed to exist in today's church? We already know that's not true. The question is, which gifts continue, which do not, and why? Now that's an important question but it's not one on which one's salvation or spiritual maturity is based. I know immature and mature believers on both sides of the question. What shouldn't be said is that one needs a particular spiritual gift to be truly mature, nor can we say that if someone claims a spiritual gift that has ceased, that they are immature or are doing the work of the evil one. Those 
are statements of excess in this debate that end up doing far more harm than good. Now, I think a good case can be made for the cessation or the stopping of what are called the sign gifts. They're called sign gifts because they were spiritual gifts intended to confirm the truthfulness of the Christian message. And I have a lot more to say about that. I'll figure it out in another, in another message because our time is gone. But, you know, let's just take one. We all love miracles, don't we? Anybody vote against miracles? No. We'd all vote for more of them because Adam's curse creates such pain for us all. Who of us wouldn't want to have the gift of healing or of miracles for someone like Brittany Bannister, whom we prayed for for so long, or for Joe Rich? But the stark fact is, through most of history, There were no miracles with only brief insertions of the miraculous at significant moments where God was communicating something very special to us. So, for example, there were no miracles between, at least not recorded, between the fall of Adam and the flood of Noah, a period of thousands of years. There were no miracles between Noah and Abraham except for the miracle of the confusion of speech at Babel, which was a negative rather than a positive sign a time of about 400 years. No miracles for the 400 years of bondage in Egypt. The time of miracles in the Old Testament even were just rare interruptions with long years of very ordinary life. No miracles in the 400 years between the Old and New Testament, unless you want to count Hanukkah, which I do not. Suddenly, John the Baptist bursts on the scene, and did you know that according to John 10, He did no miracle. And then comes our master, Jesus. Oh, man, the miracles he did. Just boom, 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 boom. John says, if they were all written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books that should be written. He did them, yes, because he loved people and he loved alleviating misery, but not every person in Galilee and Judea was healed. Rather, if you look at John 5.36, John 6.14, John 7.31, John 10.24 and 26, all of those verses are stating the works that Jesus does bear witness to the truth of what he is saying. That is, the miracles are a sign of the truthfulness of the message. And when the message gets confirmed, the need for the sign disappears. And in fact, if we look in church history, we see that these sign gifts did, in fact, disappear and did not last throughout all of church history. Now, there's more to say about this. I have three more pages of notes, but it's Mother's Day, and I want you to be able to get to dinner. The thriving of the church depends on each person using their spiritual gifts for the blessing of the entire body. Your background before coming to Christ? Irrelevant. Your history of how long you've been a Christian? Irrelevant. Every person in the church is important. Let's pray. Lord, help us to know that there's no such thing 
as superiority or gradation of significance or value based on visibility. Rather, you've designed, you have ordered your church, you've arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as you have chosen for your glory. You have appointed gifts in your church. Lord, help us so to use them that we may glorify you, your son Jesus, who was crucified for us. Thank you that he ever lives so that we too one day will enjoy him forever. In Jesus' name, amen.